This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. Well, welcome to... The third week of Mindful, if you haven't been with us, I want to kick off today by just initiating a little bit of a review that goes over the past two weeks to set up the talk for today. And the very first entry point for this series was just simply me telling you that I have bad news for you. And that bad news is that you have an enemy. And that, that enemy is labeled in the Bible as, as Satan, the devil. There, there's a lot of names that are that are thrown there but in John chapter 6 we actually see that that enemy has a mode of operation has a language that he speaks it's lies and so because that is the primary mode of operation that your enemy has the goal of that enemy is to trap you into a prison of lies to over the context of your life to to get you to believe in that one and then that one and then that one. I don't know if you've noticed a very simple but profound truth that there's a battle going on in your mind. Y'all ever just notice sometimes you're just like arguing with yourself? Like arguing with somebody that's not even there, you know? There's just something going on. There's a, there's a war that's being waged and that battleground is often in our minds. But the good news about that war is that Jesus has won the war. Even though the battle is still raging, Jesus has won. And because Jesus has won, we can live not for victory, but from victory. I'm not striving. I'm not earning. Jesus already won it. So now I'm just living from a place of victory, trying to live in what he's already earned for me. And so much of that has to happen in our mind. Most of life's battles are won or lost in the mind. A few weeks ago, I told you, and this is such a profound truth, and it needs to be processed within our context, within our minds, within our hearts, that your life is moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. What is the strongest thought in your mind? Is it worry? Is it fear? Is it doubt? When you think about that, that your life is moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts, do you like the direction that your life is headed? Do you like that direction? Because this is why this is so important to process and think about. And this is really kind of the summation of this series. Whatever fills your mind comes out in your life. And so if I'm not mindful of what's filling my mind, I will unconsciously fill my mind passively through my experiences in life. And then all of a sudden there's stuff coming out of me that I'm like, where did that come from? Well, it came from somewhere. It came from somewhere. Second Corinthians verse 10 says, we use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey God. We, we can tear down strongholds. We can come against lies. So in the first week of this series, I said, identify one stronghold. 
What's a lie that you've believed? Is it for you that I'm, I'm never ever gonna have a healthy relationship? I'm never gonna succeed in business. I'm never gonna amount to anything. I can never trust anybody again. I'm never gonna be healthy. What's the lie that you've believed? Identify that stronghold. And then number two, attack that. Attack the lies with the truth of God's word. Find the Bible verse, memorize the Bible verse, begin to speak that Bible verse into that arena in your heart. Attack it. This is what we do. This is how we fight back. And for so many of us, when it comes to the battle that's waging, just kind of being waged in our minds, we're, we're passively just a spectator in it. We're not actually engaging in that battle. This is what you do. You identify the stronghold and you fight it with the word of God. And then last week we looked at this. Romans 12, verse 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That word transformed, we understand that. We understand that often in the context of physical transformation. I know that if when January rolls around again, and my goal again is I want to get in shape again, right, whatever that is, I know there's two things I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to eat better, and I'm supposed to exercise. Right, so we just talked about the what you do. I identify the stronghold and I attack it with the word of God, the truth of God's word. But then I also have to be aware of what I consume, what's filling my mind. And I need to train in both of those areas. Why? Because training leads to transformation. Training leads to transformation. I need to train my mind to consume, to receive the right things. I need to train to fight with the right weapons. I need to train. Training leads to transformation. And last week we talked about one of those tools that is all about the consumption of God's truth, and that's meditation. Unlike New Age or Eastern meditation, which is all about emptying the mind, Christian meditation allows us to choose what our minds are being filled with. It's intentional exercise. I'm going to fill my mind with that. I'm going to meditate on God's word. I'm going to meditate on what he's done. I'm going to meditate on his promises. I'm going to remember those. I'm going to recite those. I'm going to constantly be reminded. So think about that for you right now. What's filling your mind? If you were to take a step back and look at what's going on inside your mind, is it fear? Is it anxiety? Is it doubt? Is it worry? Or is it good stuff? Because what I want you to see real quickly as we start this is that it's God's desire for your mind to be filled with good thoughts. So much so that when the book of Philippians expresses the desires, the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Philippi is actually in prison. When he's writing this, he says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, pay attention to this, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Look at that list. If we could survey your thoughts, is that what your mind looks like? If we could just open it up, plug in some electrodes, get a read out of what's going on in that gray matter of yours. Is that what we would see? Thoughts that are true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy. Is that what your mind is filled with? I, I want to remind you of something that I talked about in the first week. And it's the 
reality of the, of the way our minds work, that there's a stimulus and a response. Maybe it's that thing and all of a sudden you go to fear and that one happens and you go to worry and that happens and all of a sudden it's anxiety and that one happens and it's doubt. The way that I explained this in the first week is what science shows us is that throughout the neurons in your brain, there are what scientists call neural pathways and that when that stimulus is fired and you go to that thought, the more you do that, the easier it is to think that thought. The easier it is to go from that to anxiety, that to fear, that to worry. So can we admit something as we start today that is pivotal for us to receive what I believe God has for you today? That our minds are often filled with the wrong thoughts. That happens and I go to fear. That happens and I go to worry. That happens and I go to doubt. It's where it's as if I've trained my mind to think the opposite of what God would intend for me. And what we've come to know, not just from science, but just from practical reality, is that the, the wrong thoughts are not just thoughts, they're thought patterns. I have a, a pattern that when that happens, this is where my mind goes. And when that happens, this is where my mind goes. It's a pattern. And those patterns, as they kind of weave together, what they begin to do is they, they form a filter by which you understand the world. And I need to talk about that. Because if you're ever going to win the battle in your mind, you have to understand this, that we all have mental filters that create what is known as a cognitive bias. This is so important. It's so important to understand this. If you don't get it, it'll be very hard for you to win the war in your mind. That we all have a system of filters that create what clinical researchers or counselors or psychologists would call a cognitive bias. And a cognitive, let me explain it this way. A cognitive bias is a mistake in reasoning that is based on personal experiences or personal preferences. For some of us, our cognitive bias is a mixture of what's happened to us in our life and the way that we'd like for our lives and the world to be. Okay. It's not, there's nothing about it that's true. As a matter of fact, it is a cognitive, rational mistake. But based on our perspectives and our beliefs, and our experiences, this, this seems to be true. Can I give you an example of it? And it's actually a tragic example that, that I have seen many times. If you're a, a young woman and you grew up in a home where the men in your life were abusive, verbally abusive, emotionally abusive, even physically abusive. It is very easy to create out of that experience a bias that says it's really hard to trust men. Why? Because the men in my life were that way. It's hard, that's a cognitive bias. Does that mean that all men are not trustworthy? No, it doesn't. But certainly the men that you saw were. But that's a, it's a mistake in reasoning. It's, it's a cognitive bias based on your own experience. It's, it's a filter. 
It's a filter by which you understand. And so if you're taking notes, the first thing in your notes today is the filters you use change how you see your life. The filters you use. There's, there's all, all of us have filters that kind of change how we see things. It might even be how I see me and how I see other people and how I see this relationship. Y'all heard of some rose-colored glasses before, right? That's a filter. That's a filter. I just, I see all the good things and I neglect the bad things. Y'all ever notice that now that we have the, the most prevalent camera ever used in the history of the world in our pocket. Y'all, y'all notice that you'll take a picture. You, you probably see your kids doing this maybe more than y'all. If y'all do it, you, you probably wouldn't admit it. So I'm not going to do a raise hands. But you take a picture and then you start flipping through the filters. Well, this one makes my skin look good. Oh, I like this one. This filter, I look a little skinnier in this one. Oh, doesn't the lighting look good in this one? It's the same raw data. The only thing that changes is the filter. I want you to see this about your cognitive bias. Your cognitive bias is your default filter when you try to understand life. It's how you look at life. It's how you interpret life. It's how you understand what's happening to you and what's happening around you and what's happening in you. That's your cognitive bias. And I've come to see something about filters. This is so good. Some of y'all need this today. Number two, if you change the filter, even if the facts don't change, you get a different outcome. Some of us today, what we need is we need a filter change in our lives. We need a, we need a filter. We need the way we see things in our life, the way that we filtered things. We need a filter change. Can I give you a few examples of this? Can I give you? Imagine, may, maybe, you know, I know we got some nurses and some teachers in the, in the room, and, you know, those are, those are jobs where you serve people, and the thing about serving people that you'll find before long, if you just started, is that people are never satisfied. How many of y'all? Amen, right? Doesn't matter how good you are. Nurses know that for real, right? Teachers know that for real. Right? It's just part of, part of serving people. People are broken and lost. And because of that, you know, we, we get a little ornery, especially in, in those kind of moments. So imagine somebody comes up to you and it's critical. You could have done better with that. I don't like the way you did that. You want to know how most of us interpret that through our filter? We get offended. Why are you talking? Who are you? Did you go to nursing school? I mean, listen, are you a teacher? Do you even understand what I was trying to do with your kid? Or all you got to do is change the filter. Move to a filter that says feedback is good. I'm going to give it to God. And if there's something good in there, I'm going to receive it. All of a sudden, same facts, different filter. And what happens? Thank you. I'm going to pray about that. I'm going to think about that. I'm going to get some advice on that. I probably could do that better. Thank you for giving me that input. Can I just talk about that for a second? In, in a world and a culture that is so easily offended, can I talk about why we get offended? Imagine if we were just sitting down talking, and all of a sudden I, I just start ripping off some Portuguese. You didn't know what I was talking about. You can't, that, I'm, there's nobody in here who can speak Portuguese. I'm pretty sure about that. That's why I picked that one. <laughs> just Portuguese. I'm just ripping. You don't know what I'm saying. I'm just looking you dead in the eyes. And you're like, what are you saying? 
I'm not, I just keep speaking Portuguese and all of a sudden I stop. What'd you say? Well, I was just, I was basically calling you every ugly name that I could think of in Portuguese. Would that offend you? Probably not. Because you don't know the words. You don't know the words. And I, I heard a a clinical researcher talking about that this weekend. And she said, the reason that that does not offend you, if somebody were to call you a name, an ugly name in another language, is because you have no way to assign meaning to those words. You don't understand them. But the reason that things offend you is not because of what was said, it's because of the meaning you've assigned to it. It's our filter. It's our filter. Some of us got to get a better filter. We've got to get a new filter. You know, there's a, a faith filter in us, and we want to see the world that way. There's actually a story in the Bible that talks about this. It's so good. It's in the book of Numbers. It's, you know, Numbers is in the first five books of the Bible. That's the Pentateuch. It's all written by Moses. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Genesis, the story of, of creation, and then the story of how God created his people. Exodus, the, the story of how God delivered his people out of Egypt, out of bondage, into and, and, and leading them towards the promised land. Le Leviticus, how God set his people apart from the other people that were around them. And then Numbers. And if you've ever made a plan that you're going to read the Bible all the way through and you got the Numbers, you got bored. Because the first part of that book is nothing but numbers. That's all it is. This tribe was this many, and this was this, and this. And, it's, and it, I'm, it's one of those things you can miss what's going on. Because in the book of Numbers, God's going to lead that massive group of people to the promised land. And they're going to be on the verge of, of the, the acquisition of God's promise, which was going to take a war. They were going to have to go to war to take God's promise, which is a... Y'all need to know sometimes we're going to have to fight to get what God's promised us, all right? Sometimes that needs to happen in our minds. And so they, they show up there, and the reason that God actually numbered everybody at the beginning of that book is God wanted Moses to know, listen, Moses, you're not some ragtag group anymore. You're a massive army. You're big. You're bad. You're strong. Nobody wants to mess with you. They show up, and Moses sends out a spy from all 12 tribes, 12 men, go look throughout the land to come back and give a report. And when they come back, two of the, the young men stand up and go, it's, it's beautiful, it's the, it's the most precious thing I've ever seen in my life. There's, there's so much resource, it's, it's the most beautiful. Let's go take it. Let's go do it right now. But 10, 10 said, what? There's giants in this land. I mean, there's men in this land bigger than any man we've ever seen. Comparatively to their fortified cities, we are nothing but grasshoppers. The facts were the same, but their filters were different. Joshua and Caleb were the two young men who came back and said, we can do it. They saw through a lens a filter of faith. But the others... So the exact same facts, exact same thing, but they saw through fear. They saw through fear. We, we got to address the filters 
in our life. Some of us need to move away from a filter of fear into a filter of faith. But you know, it's not always the filter. Sometimes it's the frame. Sometimes it's, it's the frame. And, and we've got to learn to do the work when it comes to the frame. You see, counselors, researchers would tell us how you frame a situation determines how you see it. Everybody has a framework whereby they understand the world that they live in. They can interpret the events. It's a framework. You have a framework that dictates how you do relationships and how you manage money. And so much of our framework, if we're quite honest, the framework is, is something we've picked up through our lives. Ruby Payne is a phenomenal sociologist uh, about 50 years ago, wrote, wrote a tremendous book called The Framework of Poverty, which really unmasked poverty in the United States, not as a resource issue, but as a framework issue. It, it's really how people are taught to view their world. And that framework is passed from generation to generation to generation. It's not that they don't have the resources to get out. It's that their framework is broken. And so if you sit down with a counselor, one of the tools of a counselor is going to be what they call reframing. Reframing is creating a different way of looking at a situation or relationship by shifting its meaning one way or the other. Now, I'm going to do this. I'm going to, I'm going to be very personal with you and give you an illustration from just two weeks ago. Two weeks ago. Right after church, my mom was, was leaving. She's serving at our downtown campus. And she wanted to run by the grocery store. And at an intersection, uh, a man did not stop for the red light, ran the red light, and nearly hit my mom head on with no brakes. And you could look at that. And you could frame it. What were they thinking? Why didn't they stop? Should that guy even have a driver's license? Mom, why'd you have to go to the store? Why didn't you just go straight home? Or, I could frame it by saying, Mom, if, if, that, if that car would have been two feet, just move, move the point of impact two feet. We're talking about a very different accident. God must have been with you. He protected you. It's a different way of looking at it. I want you to see what I'm about to say. Number one, you can't control what happens to you, but you can control how you frame it. You can't control what happens to you. There's so much in this life that's out of control, but you can control how you frame it. You ever wanted something so bad in your life? that you got down on your knees and prayed for it. You believe God. God, one day you're going to give me that blessing, and then one day that blessing showed up, and it was not what you thought it would be. Sometimes the way that we frame an experience is actually not helpful. It actually moves it in the opposite direction. I've seen that happen so much with young moms who pray, I'm, I'm just believing God to get pregnant. And then they, they get that in six months in. This is hard. This is hard. Why would anybody ever want to do this? 
right? Some of y'all moms, you've been there before. Just tears as they fight the battle of the hormones that come through that season, feeling depressed and looking on everything that they've prayed for and saying, it's just a chore. I don't know if I'm cut out for this. This is hard. I don't even know if I want to keep doing it. Maybe you thought that you'd get to this point in your life and things would be different. You always dreamed when I, when I get to be that age, I'm going to be married. When I get to be that age, I'm going to be retired. When I get retired, we're going to travel. When we have kids, this is how it's going to be. And you got there and it's not quite what you thought it was going to be. And so because it's not the way you thought it was going to be, you look over your life, downgrade where you are. It's your framework, it's how you understand you know, the Apostle Paul, which we, we've leaned into the Apostle Paul throughout this series. You can see throughout the evidence of the book of Acts, the Apostle Paul wanted to go to the most influential spots in the world and preach the gospel of Jesus. He shows up in, in Greece and goes to Athens and preaches at Mars Hill, which would be, in his day and age, it would be, the, that's the Madison Square Garden of his day and age. And there he is, Mars Hill but the most influential city in his day was Rome. And there are lots of times that if you look at the trajectory of his trips, he was, he was going there, but then he had to come back or something happened or he was arrested or there was all different kinds of trials. It's reasonable to think that the Apostle Paul dreamed of preaching in Rome, but instead he was sent there as a prisoner. And you could think, you know, you, you, you could frame that situation with such negativity, right? I wanted to be the person to come to Rome and to preach and to proclaim Jesus in, in this city, the, the center of the known universe at that time. As a matter of fact, there's a version of the Bible that, that shares his negative sentiments from Philippians chapter 1. Look at this, it's uh, the, from the NWV. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me really sucks. <laughs> As a result of the hell I've been through, I'm quitting serving and I'm never going back to church. That's not real. The NWV is the new whiners version. We made that. <laughs> Here's what he really says in Philippians, written from a jail cell. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. You see, he's not complaining. I wanted to preach there, but instead now I'm a prisoner. Most people would think this was bad, but somehow Paul reframes this as being good. No, these chains, these are influential chains. I'm, I'm now chained to the 
palace guard, what we know about his experience is that every eight hours, a new guard would rotate in and they would be chained to them. Literally, he had a one-on-one, he was chained to the guard. These were palace guards. They were very influential within the city of Rome. And Paul said, listen, I might not have got to preach in this city, but every eight hours, I've got a new audience and that audience is this guy, this guy who's here to kind of be my guard, to be my guy. This guy, I'm gonna preach to him every eight hours. I got a new audience. I'm gonna, and watch what he says in the next verse. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It's as if you can hear him saying, I don't get to preach. But what I'm doing is making them more bold as they preach. I'm not the one out there in the streets that's proclaiming Jesus, but me having a confidence and an assurance in this place is giving them a boldness they wouldn't have had if I hadn't been here. There's a purpose here. There's a purpose. Sometimes reframing starts with thanking God for what didn't happen. It's as if Paul's saying, God, I I know you got a plan. I wanted to preach here, but thank you for not letting that happen. God, thank you for what you are doing. Thank you for your plan. You saw things that I didn't see. You knew things needed to happen that I knew I didn't even know about it. Sometimes, like, think about the car wreck. Right, we could get all lost in the repairs are expensive. It's hard to replace a car. Or we could thank God for what didn't happen. Nobody was hurt. Thank God for that. Thank God for what didn't happen. Think about your life right now. There's probably some stuff in your past that you need to thank God that that didn't happen. I mean, I just look over my life and There's this stuff over and over and over. God, thank you. Maybe you had that girlfriend and you were going to propose. You worked it all up. You prepared. You'd asked dad and you get to that moment. You got down on a knee and you proposed. She said no. And you thought your world was over. But you look back and you're like, God, I would never have what I have today if she'd have said yes. Thank you for what didn't happen. Maybe you got fired from a job that you loved. And in the moment, you were confused and you were lost and you were broken and you look back and you go, I I didn't even know or understand what was happening, but now from where you are, thank you, God, that that job was taken away. I didn't know it, but I'm so thankful. A year ago, this is no joke, my family and I renting a house, such a good relationship with our landlord and we loved it. We loved where we were living. We loved the opportunity that it gave us. And literally the Thursday before Easter, I got an email. Kevin, we, we're going to have to do something different with that property. We need you to move out in 45 days. I mean, we, we've, been, we've been looking for a house for over a year. We haven't found one yet. And you want to know what? I, I can look back and say, thank you, God that we didn't get to stay there. You took care of us. You saw something that we didn't see. Sometimes we need to reframe. 
we need to reframe. And that, that's by, by saying, God, thank you for what didn't happen. Then number three, learn to preframe difficult or challenging experiences. There's some stuff that we already know it's going to be difficult. It's going to be challenging. You know, I, I said this earlier, but our thought patterns create a framework for us to understand. And what that means is that there's already some stuff in your life you know is going to be difficult. It's going to be challenging. It's not going to be easy. The pattern is already there for you to know it. You don't always have to be reactive. You can be proactive. You don't always have to be behind in the game. Sometimes you can get ahead in the game. Can I give you an example of this? How many of y'all ever get invited to a family function? You're like, I don't really want to go. Is there anybody? Is it just me? Is it just me? Happens every once in a while. You know, your, mom, your mom's just going to beg you, would you come, please? You know, and you're like, I don't want to go. I'm going to have to talk to a bunch of people I've never seen before in my life. I'm not, I'm not that much of an extrovert, Mom. It's not going to be fun, right? That's the mindset. It's not going to be fun. But you know what? All you got to do is just embrace a different framework. You know what? I get to go with my kids. I get, I'm so proud of my kids. I get to show off my kids to some people. They're going to love on them. They're going to be proud of them. They're going to be amazed by them. They're going to make them laugh. They're going to make them cry. They're going to woo them. They're going to love them by the time we leave. I get to, I get to go and do that. When you change your framework for understanding, listen to what I'm about to say. Everything can change without anything changing. Everything can change without anything changing. Can I give you an example? Serving at church. It is so remarkable to me that there, we, we have a team, and, and they are wonderful people who show up here early. Some show up at 5. Some, some show up at 7.30 to set up our church. And some people look and go, well, I could never do that. That seems so hard. I can't imagine getting up that early. I can't. I, I would be so drained if I did that. All you got to do is change one letter. I want you to see that. Just a framework change. It's draining. It's draining when you think, I've got to do this because I signed up. Well, I signed up to be in toddlers, so I got to show up and take care of some snotty nosed kids today. I, I, I signed up to be there tomorrow morning to help for setup, so I can't stay out late. I've got, you know, I, I've got to do it. But it becomes a blessing when you think all you do, one letter, I get to do this and make an eternal difference. I get to. I don't got to. I get to. And all of a sudden, when you embrace a new framework, what happens is you walk out of this building more filled than you would if you just sat through a service. You know, the Bible says in the book of Acts, quoting Jesus, that it is more blessed to give than it is to receive, which means if you show up to church and your only goal on a Sunday morning is to receive something, and you show up on church and your goal is I'm here to give. I'm here to create an opportunity. I'm going to put up some pipe and drape. I'm going to set up a sound system. I'm going to make a place where some people who are far away from God can experience the power and the majesty of God. That somehow when you're that person, what you walk out of here is bigger. You, that blessing is bigger than just sitting here and receiving. And all it is is a change in framework. 
I'm going to choose to see this differently. You know, a lot can change without anything changing. A lot can change without anything changing. Think about it. I, 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 I prayed for it, and then all of a sudden I got it, and it was the opposite of what I thought it was. Think about it in the context of being a mom. Mom, you, you've been there. And all you got to do, you just step back. You, you look in the eyes of that child. And it's hard, it's difficult, it's not easy, but you look in their eyes. And you know, it's a blessing. This is an honor. God, thank you. Help me to have that framework. Maybe you're at this point in your life and you expected that it would be something different, be something better. You didn't think that you'd get to this point and things would be like this. Please hear what I'm about to say. Just because God said not now doesn't mean that God said not ever. All right, we got to get to a point where we can actually look in the heart of God and say, God, I'm going to accept where you brought me to right now. I'm going to believe that you have my best interests in mind. I'm going to know that if I, the Bible says, if I delight myself in you, that you will give me the desires of my heart. My job right now is not trying to tell you how things should be. God, I'm going to go after your heart. I'm going to go after you in this season. And I know that from this season on, whatever you give me is a good gift. I'm going to trust that the desires of my heart are always on your mind. You're going to take care of me. It's just a framework. We got to learn to reject unhealthy default frames. You're not a loser. You're not a failure. You won't always have people in your life that betray you. Those are unhealthy frames. And we've got to learn to move out of, of unhealthy filters. What did Paul say? He's in prison. What has happened to me is actually serving to advance the gospel. You can't control what happens to you. But you can control how you frame it. I'm going to give you a frame as we wrap our time up to you. And it comes out of Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And it's just simply this. We know that in all things, that's, that's all things. That's the good things and the challenging things. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. That's a framework for understanding my life. That when I'm going through something difficult, I know that this might not be easy, but somehow God's going to turn it into something that's good. And you need to see that there's a condition here. Because that promise is not for every person in this room. That promise is for those of us in this room that would say, above all else, God, I love you. If it creates tension, I'm going to love you anyway. God, I'm going to love you above any role, any above, above any relationship. Uh, who love him and then what? Have been called according to his purpose, which means, let me translate that. My calling is no longer what I'm telling God I'm going to do. My calling is his purpose for my life. When you love God and you're living his purpose out in your life, what you've got is a promise that everything that happens to you, God is going to somehow turn that out to be something that's good. It might not look good now, but if it's not good now, God's not done with it. It's a framework but it's conditional. So maybe right now, 
when you think about where your mind is, you know that something's got to get right between you and God so that you can win the war in your mind. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.